This episode is sponsored by Echo. Hear clearly, care confidently. Learn more at echohealth.com. That's E-K-O health.com. And use code JSP for $50 off any stethoscope. Just Some Podcast Media. The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben. Tom, welcome back. I mean, you know, last time uh, we were on, we had did an episode. You were uh, absent. I believe you were down in the Yucatan. <laughs> it's a things out down there. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of there's lots of stuff going down in the Yucatan, uh, but I Yucat can't so all oh. so i uh yeah no i came home and uh, i'm back uh no it's been a it's been good uh things are hopping it's unseasonably warm where i'm at um you know i don't want to i don't want to stir up too many hornets about the whole you know climate conspiracy stuff but when it starts snowing on July fourth, and I start wearing shorts on Christmas Day, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to point to the scientists were being right because it's uh, February and it's slated to be 71. And I got to be honest, uh, Ohio is not known for its warmth or sunny disposition in February. So yeah, that's a problem. It's it's kind of weird. I know it happens every once in a while. I'm not I'm not saying this is some ultra rare thing, but it's. It's it, it's weird. Well, it's, it's sure. scheduled to be 70 here tomorrow with an 80% <clears> chance of rain. So, I mean, it's like, hey, here's a nice weather, <laughs> but it's going to rain all day. Uh, and then it drops down into like the 20s the next day because Kansas. Yes. Um, <laughs> Mother Nature's really, drunk. That's all I got to say. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is what it is. Have you seen a large prevalence of strep lately? Because it has been tons of strep cases down here. Uh, no, running about normal on strep. Actually, I'd probably say a lot of places are still for cold and flu season, uh, implementing masks around this area. So realistically strep and influenza have been normal to low, um, for me, we are still getting the occasional, you know, other upper respiratory infections. We did get a pretty good round of norovirus. And uh, it also clipped yours truly on its way through. So that was a great adventure on my days off. But other than that, no, it, it's it's been pretty good up here. No real surges in anything. It's, it's been pretty much cruise control, which I'm thankful for. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. Today I was super busy. I don't know why everybody picked today to come in for like their annual exams and blood work, but... My poor nurse, because we're a small clinic, and so she does the lab work as well as rooming the patients and doing everything else that she does. Over 50% of our patients today had to have labs drawn on them. So 
she was not happy with you. Super busy. Yeah, she was just super happy. So sorry about that. I uh, I'm actually enjoying this week more than usual. I am getting all my information CEUs prepared, put together, submitting them for my uh, board renewal. So I took a couple of days off of CEU time to finish up some stuff and submit it all as a package and get those technology yeah. hours in. Yeah, no, I tackled that first and it was as painful as I anticipated. So uh, I know it's super important. I'm I'm glad I was actually excited to spend time learning. I actually started early on my this weekend and uh, I've been working on them, but it's been it's been fun. I've actually paid attention, you know, learned a few tips, you know, here and there. But it is kind of funny when you're taking the post test and you're like you're you're reading it and you're still imagining how you would do it it's like so now you know that this new evidence and this person has this affliction what antibiotic would you prescribe now and you're in your head you're still going i still want to give them cephalexin i don't know i don't care what you say <laughs> i still want to give them cephalexin so it is it it was good to learn some new things so ceus are important i'm uh, i'm just gonna be glad to be done with this and uh not have to do it for five more years well, we hope that you're going to continue to get education throughout that five years and not just cram it all into, you know, a week's time, Tom. But hey, you need it. <laughs> well, no, I did it throughout the five years, you <laughs> jerk. I said I'm just putting it together, submitting it right now. You, oh, God. I know. Anywho. Well, Tom, it's been a while since we've recorded a JSP episode because, you know, life's been kind of busy and, and hectic and we're trying to get back into the swing of things. So you may have noticed all over our social media, if you're following us on social media, that we had some cartoon artwork commissioned for us, and I want to give a huge shout out to Chris. Great dude. He's over at oldmansyart.com. It's O-L-D-M-A-N-S-Y.com. And, you know, we'll throw a link down in the show notes, but if you need artwork done, he does all kinds of custom artwork. He does Pokemon stuff. He does all kinds of neat, interesting things. And he's even commissioned some more stuff for our other show because, you know, we need to get into the, the super sleuthing of things. I was super happy with how it came out and I am glad we're going to continue to work with him in the future. The only thing I want now, Tom, is I think I would, I would watch a cartoon with those two cartoon characters. Like I think that would be absolutely hilarious. So yeah, I'm just saying any major production companies out there that uh, just have money to burn, just uh, <laughs> feel free to reach out to us. We already got a whole thing started. Absolutely. So, but if you uh, don't know where to find us on social media, you can find us. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. All at Just Some Podcast. Our website, justsomepodcast.com. Our email. You gotta reach out to us. Tell us you like the cartoons. Tell us you hate the cartoons. Tell us you hate Tom. I, we, you know, whatever works for you. Uh, JSP at justsomepodcast.com. And of course, you can reach us out on all of our social media stuff as well. But Tom, let's say they want to help out the show. What's some other things that they can maybe do for us? Besides write in and tell us how much they hate me. Yes. Which surprisingly does not happen as often as uh, we anticipate, which is kind of funny. They could go to our website. They could scroll down to just about the bottom of the page. They can see our Amazon affiliate link. Click on that first before you do any of your shopping or putting anything in your cart. Because then when you buy it, some of those proceeds go to the show. It really helps us out, and we really appreciate it. We also know that you guys do it for us, and we can't thank you enough, so keep up the good work. Yeah, and you know, you can also, while you're out there listening to us on their podcast uh, devices, make sure you're dropping ratings and reviews for us. That drives us up the algorithm. Let's other people find us. Tell your friends. Tell your frenemies. 
tell your coworkers, tell whoever you want to listen to our shows because, you know, I think we give some good information occasionally. Um, <laughs> we won't let it go to our head. That's right. But the other thing you can do is also, of course, check out all our other shows. Of course, we're here on Just Some Podcast. This is our medical, educational, entertaining show. We got Will Continue to Monitor. That's our creepy, crawly, mystery, sleuthing type podcast that Tom and I do. We got Buried Pleasures with Pollyanna Amazing. And she's talking all the dirty, dirty over there. And we still have Nurse Papa over there, David. You know, he's on a hiatus right now, but his episodes are all still available for download if you want to listen to those talking about parenting and some cool stuff. So check all those out. Tom, as if they've not heard us talk enough about commercials and things they can do for us, let's take a break here. Normally we would do a story you may have missed, but the story well, you may have missed is actually going to be the full episode. Yeah, I say the episode pretty much is the story you may have missed. Tom, how much are you loving that 40-time amplification, you know, as you're getting older like I am, and uh, those ears may not be working quite as well as they used to? Yeah, every time I use it, I really love it. But, Ben, I also have uh, NP students with me, and every time they use it, they are just blown away. And, of course, we are talking about the Echo Core Digital Stethoscope. It does have that 40-time amplification. It has noise cancellation, so you're just listening to the patient, and you're just listening to what you need to hear. I'm telling you, if you want to hear what Tom and I hear, you need to check out this thing because it is a game-changing piece of equipment. And the first time that you listen to it, you're going to get that wow face. 100%. It, it, it will happen. But go check them out. It's echohealth.com. It's ekohealth.com. Use code JSP. It gives you $50 off your order. Let them know that we sent you. Ben, are you still suffering from that knee pain? I absolutely am, Tom, yes. Ben, I know when we were out in Las Vegas on vacation together, you used some CBD products and your knee pain went away, didn't it? It did, actually. I knew that we were going to be doing a lot of walking out there and I reached for the CBD stat products. I used that roll-on and I used that calming cream to kind of help with all the aches and pains that I was experiencing doing all that walking. Not only do they make wonderful THC-free products, so they're legal all over the United States, they love their healthcare people. They love them so much they're giving you a permanent 40% discount just because you're in healthcare. You go to cbstat.care slash healthcare. You fill out that form there, you give you a permanent 40% discount. But they know that maybe not all our listeners on this show are on or in healthcare, and uh, they want to help you out too. So put all your stuff in the cart, and what code can they use to check out, Tom? JSP20. JSP20. Going to give you 20% off your order just because you're listening to Tom and I now. Go check out their products. CBDstat.care. Okay, Tom. So kind of like we said before the break, we're not doing a story you may have missed because this is a story you may have missed because we normally talk about an article of some sort. And so we're going to kind of just focus our whole episode on this article that I have. There's a few things I want to say about this article and, and before we get into the discussion. Um, first off, this has sat on my desk for about a year because the topic that it is, I wanted to make sure that we were in the right mindset and we're far enough isolated or insulated from COVID to kind of really handle some of the information and stuff that's in here on an emotional level. So I've really kind of been sitting on this because the first time I read this article, it, it made me tear up. Secondly, there's several things that I think we can um, extrapolate from the data that is here in this article that we're going to discuss. First off, this talks strictly about nurses. And I think while nurses obviously are essential to helping with the pandemic, I think in some cases, some of this data can be extrapolated to other healthcare entities such as respiratory, physicians, the entire gamut of the healthcare field. The second point that I think we need to extrapolate from the data, this is focused just in Britain 
and or the UK. I think this data could be extrapolated to the entire world because the entire world dealt with the pandemic, not just Britain. And they, I mean, they make, you know, discussions and points about that during this article. But I think this is some of the very real things they were talking about, they were experiencing in Britain, we were experiencing here in the United States as well and other developed countries. So want to get all that out of the way first. Lastly, Tom has no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> not a clue. Like a typical story you may have missed, I have not told him anything about it other than, hey, here's kind of what we're going to cover. The name of the article is Learning from the Past, Spanish Influenza and the Lessons for COVID-19. It was published in Nursing Times Online, October 2020. And the authors, Olivia Gordon, she's an MA student. Amanda Gwinnup is a PhD student. And Christine Hallett is a professor of nursing history, all at the University of Huddersfield. So I want to make sure we get all that stuff out of the way so that we give proper credit to everybody who wrote this article. I'm going to read kind of portions of this article, and then Tom and I are going to talk about it, and, and we'll just see how the episode goes. The very first sentence, Tom, is, you know, you talk about how you want, like, an attention getter to, like, really just wham and grab you. The global coronavirus pandemic reached Britain in February 2020, spreading rapidly among a population whose government seemed unprepared for such an emergency. That reaches out and grabs you. And it's, in retrospect, not wrong in a lot of ways. And it certainly wasn't just Britain. I mean, obviously, the United no, States was no, no. grossly underprepared but, for a pandemic. Again, and I think you put it very nicely at the beginning. While this information is not going to be exact for everywhere, I think most industrialized countries around the world are going to find similar instances to what we're going to discuss tonight, based on what you've told me about what we're getting into. The next thing that I – so I went through and kind of highlighted is I actually printed this so, you know, if you hear papers rattling, like, yes, um, you younger people, you can actually print things. And because so, uh, I'm old. Uh, yeah, you're old, Ben. Just just um, a minute. You're wearing a cardigan. He's got just, Werther's Originals in his pocket. But He's they're old. so darn good. Um, so the burden of the rapidly emerging crisis fell on the existing healthcare staff and those who returned to practice the so-called front line of the NHS and care services. Again, very true. I mean. How many times during the pandemic were nursing and healthcare workers referred to as frontline workers? I mean, because, I mean, we were. We, we, I say we generalizing healthcare, not myself. I was insulated from it. And we, we've discussed that at length on this show. There was, so they're, they kind of, they go into the literature review and says, it has been argued that there is a lack of secondary literature on the pandemic, the, the, the Spanish flu because it was simply not as memorable as the concurrent First World War. Tom Quinn argued that, quote, the lives of the pandemic victims were cut short by an unseen, unknown enemy. There was nothing heroic about it at all. In most cases, death was messy and painful and essentially private, unquote. I mean, again, you just it, it stirs up feelings of how many people do we know of that died from COVID? And there was nothing, I mean, it was messy. It was painful. It was horrendous. And then Jane Elizabeth Fisher in a 2012 article argued, and I, I love the wording of this, the Spanish flu pandemic has been neglected by historians due to its, quote, awe-inspiring destructive power and the inability of human language to adequately represent mortality on such a large scale, unquote. Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. I think there were lots of times because we were doing a podcast during COVID 
I think that is a wonderful description of there was not ways to describe what people were seeing. We spent a lot of time trying to interview people to get that description. And again, it's a very different perspective that the nurses at bedside had than we had, but we all felt the suffering that came along with dealing with this. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we we interviewed Shannon. Um, she was at Ground Zero in New yeah. York City. Um, we interviewed Christine from Antidote Stories and Medicine, and she talks about you know breaking down in the middle of all this. I know that your wife was deeply affected as well. I've seen coworkers that have been deeply affected, and that's where we, when we start getting into the results, that's where a lot of this is going to. That's where it really hit me. I mean, obviously, this is all just the literature. It concerns me how little we learned from the Spanish flu pandemic because it was almost a carbon copy to an extent of things that happened within healthcare, leading healthcare to a breaking point. And we're continuing on, on that path. Yeah. We, we thought we learned those lessons and we instituted organizations to try and oversee and make sure that we were safe. And they did all this stuff and they told us we're here to make sure you're safe and we're doing this for you. When they did all those inspections of our hospitals and all stuff, they they were there for us. But then when it hit the fan and we were like, hey, we're getting demolished. All those people that said they were there for us just stepped out of the way and hospital employees were getting hit like a train, which is the lesson that we were trying to learn the first time in 1918, you know, when we were unprepared for all of this. And we kept saying we were prepared for, you know, hospitals and healthcare professionals were ready, but they weren't. And we just lulled ourselves into that same sense of safety. And then when it actually happened, we weren't. I mean, the flooring was ripped right out from under their feet again. Yeah. Yeah. It it was, that's the first striking thing from what you've just said, you know, so far I just stood out to me was, yeah, we didn't learn a thing. Um, The last part of the literature review, and again, it's just, it's the wording that I love about the way that these were described Pamela Wood in 2017 in an article nurses quote, prove their worth unquote during the pandemic of the Spanish flu. Wood suggested that there, this was a significant point in the profession's history when nurses were able to demonstrate the importance of care when there is no cure. It was known that people's best chance of survival was to be utterly selfish, focus on protecting themselves, which was the opposite of how nurses behaved. They endangered themselves to care for others and to provide an emblem of hope and resilience for people in need. And I don't want to characterize heroes or you know anything along those yeah, lines. That's that's what I was like. I'm. How do I interpret this? <laughs> because, but you know, you hear that there was a line, and I don't remember what it, what show it was on or whatever it was, but it was talking about like 9/11 and people running away from the building, and it was the firefighters that were running into the building. You know, and a, a good friend of both of ours, Sam, is, you know, notoriously has said in the past, if you make everyone a hero, then no one's a hero because there's nothing heroic about everybody doing their jobs. But the wording of this, I mean, it's very, very true that in a pandemic, they expect you to social distance. They expect you to, you know, try to help limit the spread of this illness. And then healthcare workers, nurses are doing the exact opposite of that to continue to provide that care when there is no cure. It's not often the Tom Dinder speechless. No, you said it best. I mean, really there's not another way to top it. 
we were doing the things that other people didn't want to do. There it is. And, and, and when I say we, again, let me be very clear. I mean, healthcare workers. I don't mean just nurses or nurses in England in, in particular, though, I'm sure they were. I, I, like I said, I know for a fact, respiratory therapists were as in much the line of fire as any other person during these, during this pandemic, or they were as a general group, you know, as, as everybody else. So when I say we, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say healthcare in general. And it goes back to, that's what I'm saying. When, you know, yes, this is a nursing article, but I think it, you can extrapolate the data to healthcare in a lot of senses. So the results, and this was where it got me. It says, our study identified five distinct re- uh, resonances between the experience of nurses during the Spanish flu and the current coronavirus pandemics. So they had five distinct points. The first one, nurses in all settings, both civilian and military, during the Spanish flu pandemic had to undertake physically and emotionally intensive work involving current attention to patients' breathing, positioning, nutritional and hydrational status, and mental and emotional morale. During the current pandemic, attention must be paid to essentially the same life-saving imperatives, but the measures taken are now mediated through new and demanding technologies. First-hand accounts of nurses working on the first front line in 1918 show the nurses' determination to help the patients despite the higher risks. I mean, that, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, yeah. Secondly, stress and strain of service was a quote, and this was the phrase frequently used in the Ministry of Pensions files for nurses demobilized in 1919. It bears resonance with the experiences of today's nurses in that not all trauma is physically inflicted. Fear, worry, and exhaustion can cause trauma. One of the findings of our work to date is that a range of physical illnesses were caused by, but not necessarily attributed to, active service in 1918 and 1919. Many nurses, for example, experienced painful kidney infections that left lifelong damage as a result of not being able to void their bladders when needed. Not being able to focus on their own physical needs was a hidden cause of trauma, and a similar failure to attend to their own needs appears to be affecting today's nurses. In 1918-1919, the stress of caring for flu patients went well beyond quote-unquote normal stressors of the job. Many nurses were openly afraid of contracting influenza in the course of their work, and there was uncertainty about when the pandemic would end. These same fears and uncertainties are experienced in today's frontline nurses. And I think back to our, our conversation with Shanna, Shannon, sorry. You know, the having to, you put yourself on hold to take care of other people at the risk of demise to yourself or the, to the detriment of yourself. And I think we're just, I think we've seen lots of strain and stress from the pandemic on healthcare, but I think we're going to continue to see that over the next several years as people are coming out of this and going, you know, do I want to do healthcare? I mean, how many people do you think are going to leave healthcare or are going oh, to end the up avalanche, lifelong, yeah, de- you know, antidepressants? Yeah. I don't uh, think the avalanche of healthcare workers leaving is done at all. And then the the other sad side effect is not only did we lose a tremendous amount of talent out of healthcare during this pandemic, but it's going to blunt the people coming in. So not only did we lose a bunch, it's going to slow down the amount of people coming in. So if you think healthcare was was in a crunch at the beginning of this pandemic, 
the next five to 10 years are going to be real fun for everybody. I, I just, I would not anticipate a lot of greatness, you know, coming out of this. That doesn't mean the individual workers are going to do excellent work. I don't mean that. I just mean it's hard for people to put extra work into research and development and doing all these new and innovative things when you're just trying to survive. So what I'm saying is, is I think the next five to 10 years are going to be rough on, uh, in particular, U.S. healthcare, but it's going to be hard. Uh, the next point, the nurses on active service in 1918 and 19 were obligated to live away from home, often for many months at a time. Many of today's nurses um, have chosen to live away from their families and friends as a precaution, and it may feel as though they're deployed in place, believing themselves to be on active service. My wife and I set up a spare bedroom in our house for me to live at the height of this pandemic. And there was times that I did, did live in here because, you know, you and I know our audience is healthcare. And so I think they understand, but to those who are not in healthcare, it's an odd juxtaposition to say, I'm in this field and I'm going to care for people at the risk of bringing that home to my family. And so then you take precautions to try to prevent that. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a strange, almost mind fuck. I, I fully, I fully accepted the risk of what I chose to do. Same as my wife, my child did not. And yeah. so when people go, well, what about influenza? Yeah, but we know what we were dealing with, with influenza. We know what we're dealing with, with the common cold. Okay. COVID-19 by and large, there's a lot of information we still don't know about what's going on with this this virus, but we certainly didn't have it during the opening stages of this pandemic. And I had to deal with the fact, you know, I have a sister that's diabetic. You know, what if I interacted with her? You know, what what if I gave her COVID? So the, the thought of, and I, I can hear some people that are, you know, not supportive of healthcare anymore saying, well, you chose to do this. And to an extent I would go, you know what? I, I don't think we should have to take unnecessary risk, but to a point that's true. We know we're going to take care of sick people, but we're extending that risk. And that's what was very hard on me mentally. I accepted my risk, but knowing I could affect everyone around me in ways I could not prepare for was what left me mentally hurting. And the fourth point, the act of putting on PPE can be traumatizing. It's an act that preludes a day's hard work and its attendant uh, emotional and physical stresses. PPE highlights risk and is symbolically akin to the battle dress of a soldier or medic. This, along with the government and media hype about frontline workers and the use of military tropes, heightens stress. In 1918, infectious diseases nurses were already accustomed to donning protective gear over their uniforms, but this is a new experience for many of today's nurses and heightens a sense of crisis. Reading this, my mind immediately went to Christine telling that story on our show of painting her house, and she put on the Tyvek and and lost it. I could see, you know, the whole thing about the media hype and, and the government hype, and you're courageous for going into battle against COVID nineteen, and you're you're you know putting on your suit of armor, and it weighs on you mentally. Yeah, I. Uh... You know, I used to put on body armor for a living and you secure it with very heavy, thick Velcro straps. And I knew as I was pressing those things on, like it was like an internal switch, like, oh, you may from this point forward, be prepared to be shot. 
you know, I mean, it's just a mindset like click you're now in, I could get shot mode and that's just how it is. And I think I can relate to that, to seeing those, those RTs and nurses and ICUs that were strapping on the N100 respirators. You know, you, you had to prepare for the, this is what's keeping me alive. This respirator is what's keeping me from being dead. And so, yeah, strapping that onto your face and leaving those marks, I could completely seeing that be a traumatizing because it's a repetitive motion. And that's, that's one of the things that can trigger people with PTSD is having to relive or, or interact with the thing that causes the trauma tends to be a problem. So, yeah, I, I can completely see that one being a big one. The last one, and this one, I understand it, but it kind of, it kind of pisses me off a little bit, too. Not at the writers, just in, in general. Uh, so at the beginning of the Spanish flu pandemic, uh, war nurses already had a long history of being used as propaganda to support public morale. Uh, images as nurses or images of nurses as angels and heroines appeared in numerous newspaper articles. And similarly, in the first months of the coronavirus pandemic, there was a focus on the frontline nature of nursing work, its dangers and the sacrifices that nurses and other healthcare workers were making. This creates additional stress and pressure for frontline careers, even as it offers comfort to the rest of the population. You know, it, it, we, you know, and we've talked about this and you see the, you know, looking back now where, you know, you hear about nurses fighting for equal pay and, uh, you know, the travel nursing bill and stuff that we've covered on, on our show. You know, you go from healthcare heroes to, you know, to, to back in the grind. Um, but, you know, the, this article talks about the mental toll that it takes to be used as propaganda to support public morale. There is a long history of people being told, like, and, and I mean, throughout history, soldiers, people that work in fields, you know, like laborers, you know, hey, just just suffer through this for us right now. And on the other end, we're, we're, we're going to make sure you're taken care of. And those, those people down in the trenches said, yeah, okay. Those laborers, those soldiers, those nurses. And then when they came out on the other side, it's almost like, yeah, I would, I was talking on my ass pretty much back then. I, I, I can't do anything for you now. And I'll tell you, it doesn't usually lead to a prosperous future for that profession for quite a while. And I think that's part of what we were talking about earlier is I think the people coming into this and the people that are going to influence the people coming into this that suffered through all this bullshit just to be treated like this on the other side is a very telling sign of where we are at as a healthcare system in the United States. And I think that that is the exact same thing that you would hear from the National Health Service nurses in the United Kingdom. I think that is similar to what you would hear in most European nations. I Oh, I for sure think you go talk to nurses in Italy. Go ask them how they feel right now. I don't know if anybody remembers that little catastrophe they had going on during COVID going on in Italy, you know, but uh so like you said at the top of the show, I think the information you're hearing there is something that we can apply to everywhere. And for sure, you could see it here. This whole propaganda thing is no joke. And and, and, I, and I could be misreading on some of the other places. Who knows? Maybe nurses for maybe our listeners in Australia should reach out to us and say, no, they, they learned their lesson. You know, they're, they're doing something for us. I don't know. Maybe perhaps it's New Zealand. Perhaps it's, you know, 
Egypt. I don't know. Somewhere maybe they did learn their lesson and they're, they're turning it around for their healthcare workers. I can tell you where they're not. So, so far this, uh, this seems pretty point for point. <laughs> I know. That's what, that's what bothers me about. I mean, yeah. It, it should it bother just, you. It should bother everybody listening to it. So then we move into their discussion. And so the authors, again, wonderful way of words with the authors of this particular article as well, because then they kind of break down those points in kind of discussion. And so I just kind of, I'm going to run through some just quick highlights. Records indicate that nurses in the early 20th century who cared for patients with Spanish flu regarded themselves as having provided an essential national service. In many cases, they felt unable to request demobilization until the crisis was over. In analyzing the significance of the stress and strain in nurses serving during a national emergency and exhibiting characteristics of resilience, our primary source indicates that nurses often presented in an outward show of resilience long after the reserves of energy had expired. The dark side of resilience has suggested that there's a correlation between resilience and highly unfavorable outcomes such as burnout, debility, and serious injury or serious illness. And I think we saw that firsthand with how many people, you know, I mean, you had healthcare workers working 60, 70, 80 hours a week because they felt like they had to, because they, they felt like they couldn't ask to be quote unquote demobilized because you're in the middle of a pandemic. Well, not just that, the people you work with, it's a phenomenon very common in military and in law enforcement where you aren't fighting because you hate the bad guy. You're fighting because you love the guy you're with. You know, you love your 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 buddies in your unit or that you're on duty with. And it's the same for those nurses. I, I can't tell you how many nurses or respiratory therapists or x-ray technicians or whoever that worked in the hospital that w- would say the same thing. Like, I I can't take care of myself because, you know, the person next to me isn't either. And that wasn't to try and prove a point. It was because they knew everybody else was suffering. And there's just some part of the human brain. We are pack animals. And if for some reason, when the rest of the pack is suffering, we just tell ourselves we can suffer more too and go through it. And I think that mode is what kicked in. And I think that's what you're describing. And when talking about the PBE, the nurses of the Spanish influenza were able to make use of cotton gowns and masks that were washed at high temperatures and hospital laundries, rendering them safe for reuse at the outset of the COVID pandemic. Nurses had no such reassurance. Um, according to Dean reporting for the RCN, 39% of nurses polled during a nationwide survey stated that they, they were being asked to reuse items of PPE that had been marked as single use, which of course we knew that was a big deal back then, back then being the COVID pandemic. And again, it's just, it's history repeating itself. You know I mean? It's, yeah, it's, it's like we went down the exact same steps and didn't yeah. learn anything. This is this is what I was telling you earlier. The same organizations that think they're protecting you by making sure you don't have a drink at the nurses station did nothing in the helper preparation for this. We were clearly using things marked for single use. Things that our entire career and every bit of training we've ever been in had said discard immediately before going to see anybody else was now being said, use it for a week, a week, <laughs> you know, like put in the paper it, bag, was, it'll be fine. Tomorrow. It, it was, it was goddamn Willy Wonka world <laughs> in hospital and healthcare settings for quite a while. Talking about like, you know, being icons of, or, you know, the, the propaganda and society's roles. Nurses remain icons of society, not only eliciting the now famous movement to clap for the NHS, but also being held up as examples to encourage members of the public to give service to their nation. Children painted rainbows and put them in their windows as a sign of hope 
and to act as a reminder that one day the storm would pass. We believe that this is an example of nurses as emblems of resilience that encourage your British people to display a more general resilience. The price paid by those nurses in stark terms of lives lost has been prominent in the, in the British mass media, but the more complex problem of physical and mental damage requires closer scrutiny. Because, you know, yes, you're, you're a hero, <laughs> but at what cost mentally and physically upon yourself? Well, I mean, I guess that's ultimately the question that each person in this position has to ask themselves is how far am I willing to go? How much of myself am I willing to sell to do this job? Because I know we get money, but we sell ourselves. I'm selling my time, right? You're giving me monetary value for it, but I can replace money. I cannot replace my time. So I am in fact selling myself. That's, that's what we're saying is like, you know, how much of this am I willing to put up with? Cause I, a lot of nurses have already figured out no more. And a lot of young people that have a lot of great talent that would have made excellent healthcare workers are saying, nah. Not until something gets fixed. Yeah. And not, I mean, there's a lot more to be said, you know, how patients treat people. I mean, that's widely known on social media. So, I mean, there's a lot of other problems out there, but the five points brought up specifically in this article are pretty concise and shows pretty clearly that it's just history repeating itself. Lastly, their conclusion it has become a truism for the British people during the coronavirus pandemic that nurses are both heroic frontline careers and individuals at risk for trauma. The battlefield metaphor that places all nurses in settings, including hospitals, care homes, and the community in an almost mythical role of being both self-sacrificing angels and superheroes is largely unhelpful to a profession that is working to, to secure the resources it needs to do its job, protect its workforce, and attain the recognition that comes with professional expertise. Yeah, that's that is a true double-edged sword and I'm glad they pointed that out because by making us and again us being the royal us, the healthcare community us, nurses in general, by making us oh look at these heroes, they don't need all the extra help, they can do it all. They don't need all the stuff that they're asking for cuz they're heroes, they're super people. You know, they just make it work. Yeah. At the cost of safety, our mental and physical health. Yeah. So that's the problem is by propping us up and making us look like that. It almost makes it look like, well, they don't need look how much they're doing already. Yeah. They clearly don't need safety standards for, for patient care. And let me let me be very clear. I have worked at the low level of administration as a supervisor for a department. I am well aware that hospitals have to ha be fiscally responsible. I am not asking for them to blow anything out of the water. I don't think anybody realistically should and, and probably should understand that their administrators had a rough time during the pandemic as well. Okay. But having said all that, I, I think that the five points brought out in this article show there's a lot more work that has to be done and that we as nurses clearly are going to have to be instigators in our own change in our profession because clearly nobody else is going to do it for us. Well, I think not only that, but I think also it makes you or should make you more mindful of your own mental health and mental well-being. You know, one of the things that we've talked about on this show ad nauseum and we will not stop talking about is mental health is health and it's okay to not be okay. You know, we're going to see a sharp rise in Depression, anxiety, alcoholism, divorce rates, broken home. I mean, it, all this stuff that you see 
uh, you know, just in society in general, I think we're going to see that in the microchasm of healthcare on a greater scale because of the pandemic. I think the data by researchers 10 years from now are going to show that this is where the tsunami is, or it, it likely has already started, but here it's coming. And I think it's something that we're maybe even not going to feel directly now, but I think you're right. I think over the, the years, all those things are going to happen. And then what do we do then? And again, that just leads back to, we figured out some stuff. We got ourselves out of a hole previously, and then we just allowed ourselves to lapse back into that hole. And so, Ben, what do you think about steps moving forwards? You know, I hope that there's lessons learned. You know, coming from an emergency preparedness background, I mean, one of the things that we you know looked at multiple times was, you know, if we had a pandemic. But I don't know that it was ever looked at as a pandemic on that scale. Oh, you mean like a regional, like, oh, the uh, some virus got out, but it's only going to affect like Kansas, Missouri, like that type of thing. Right. Or it was going to be, you know, in more in, in waves around the world, you know, because flu is typically cyclical. Yes. So it's not going to hit the entire world at the same time most of the time. And so I think that's where a lot of the planning fell short. And I don't think that's necessarily a fault on us. No. But no, we I need don't. to learn from it. You know, and some of the preparedness that the European agencies and the CDC, some funding had been removed and, you know, whatever. I, I know money doesn't grow on trees, so, you know, things have to happen. But we saw the people that screen and watch for her pandemics were were cut and, well, a pandemic showed up. I mean, it was probably bad timing, but this shows why resources like that are necessary. And I hope that's one of the lessons we learned is like, hey, the sooner we know what's going on, the sooner we can get ahead of this. Also, I would say it's probably important to to talk about supply chains because again, as you said, when it's seasonal or cyclical, you know, as Europe's being hit, America can rebound. And yes. then while we're being hit, you know, Central and South America are going to be prepared. So, you know, like everyone's ready when it all happened at once. And we were, we rely on supplies from Europe. We reply on, rely on supplies from South and Central America. Well, when they suddenly aren't here, cause they don't have them either. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, I, I don't know. I think we learned that lesson, but we lost it over time. You know, we build up those resources and, and infrastructures here in America. And then what did we do over the next 80 years? Uh, we'll consolidate. Well, companies will move their, you know, manufacturing overseas to where it's cheaper, you know, et cetera. And here we are right back to supply issues. And well, so sadly, in, in the emergency preparedness world, you after 9-11, a lot of preparedness money went into, you know, defense and, you know, protecting America and things of that nature, which as, as well, it should be not, yeah, not knocking that in any way, shape or form. But as we got further and further removed from 9-11, that funding got cut and cut and cut and cut. So I think what you're going to, unfortunately, from a societal standpoint, I think you're going to see the same thing. We had a pandemic. Those of us who have survived have survived the pandemic, and now any funding and preparedness is going to start dwindling down until another hundred years from now, when the world goes, "Oh my God, we weren't ready for this," you know. And so, and so, I don't think that's necessarily going to change. Unfortunately, I don't think propaganda is going to change. Unfortunately, it boils down to 
as you have said so eloquently in the past, sometimes you have to worry about what's around your bubble and only what you can handle. And if that means that you are taking care of yourself and you are providing the care that you're supposed to be providing and doing what you can do, not only for your patients, but for yourself, then the world will be a better place and healthcare will be a better place. With that being said, if you're having depression, if you're having anxiety, reach out to your provider, reach out to mental health. If you're having suicidal thoughts, 988, it's a national suicide hotline in the United States. Use that. Use those resources that are available to take care of yourself. Mental health is health. I can't stress it enough. It's something we've said on the show a million times. Ben has said it. If you need help, there is no shame. Please reach out. I promise you, you are not alone, and there is somebody out there that wants to help you. Absolutely. And I'm, I, I do apologize to all our listeners if you're still listening to us. This was a very depressing episode. But unfortunately, sometimes healthcare is depressing. While we try and be entertaining, we are a healthcare education podcast. This is something very real and happening at this time in healthcare. So I think it's important we cover it. And while I wish it was something fun and cool and made people want to tune in, I would say we weren't doing our job if we weren't covering stuff like this. So I I agree with you. I do think next week, though, we're going to have to have, you know, something to kind of raise the raise the morale around here because, you know, I said, again, I've had this sitting on my desk for a year because I I wanted to talk about it, but I just didn't know when and how and how the conversation was going to go. But I mean, it's it's information that we need to get out there because ultimately it boils down to taking care of yourself and making sure that you're, you know, (laughs) taking the PTO or you're going to counseling or whatever it is to make sure that you're the best you that you can be for yourself, for your patients, for your family, for everybody. That's it. Tune in next week. Another episode. I promise it'll be more fun. (laughs) Take care of yourselves and each other. Hey, everybody. Stay safe out there. Some road bridge and I thought of you And all the many times You say I should have known